We're thinking today about the cost of discipleship, about blessed living, about a life which knows the blessing of God. And Bonhoeffer highlights how this message is given to Jesus' disciples, to those who have answered the call to follow, who have answered the call for discipleship. And the blessedness of these Beatitudes speaks of it cannot be separated from obedience to that call to follow. You can't expect this blessing unless you are a committed disciple of Jesus. But as we think of these Beatitudes about being meek, about being merciful, about being pure in heart, and so on, we're not to see them so much as commandments, but what we're to see them as a consequence of what has happened. We were thinking on Wednesday night about this, about the incarnation, about how God has become flesh, how God has taken on human form. And God has done that in Jesus Christ so that we will follow Jesus, that we would be His disciples, and that we would experience this life in Christ, this life in us. And it's that experience of the incarnation, this experience of Christ coming to live in us through His Spirit, which indeed creates this new life that brings this blessing. And so, when we think today about meekness, when we think today about purity, yes, there's a challenge for us to be meek and to be pure, but we're to understand that this is not something that's achieved by our effort but it's something to be experienced as once more we turn to Christ and that life in Him. The blessedness experienced in the Beatitudes and how it comes to us, it's so different from how the world sees being blessed. The world's teaching on success and how it is achieved, it's so different, radically different from what Jesus says. And so we have to be careful that we're listening to the voice of Christ rather than the voice of the world. Let's look at these eight Beatitudes one by one briefly. First of all, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's be aware that poverty in itself is certainly not a blessing, and anybody who thinks so, they have never been poor. It is poverty for the sake of Jesus that brings this blessing. Bonhoeffer, in speaking of the disciples, said they are poor. They have no security, no possessions to call their own, not even a foot of earth to call their home. They have no spiritual power, experience, or knowledge to afford them consolation or security. For His sake, they have lost all. In following Him, they have lost even their own selves and everything that could make them rich. Now they are poor, so inexperienced, so stupid, that they have no other hope but Him who called them. And I remember this. These disciples who have gathered around Jesus to hear this message, they have left their homes, their families, They've left their jobs, they've no income, no money, and from a, a world's perspective, their prospects are anything 
but good. And yet Jesus says that these poor men who have given up so much to follow him, it is they who are the blessed. Here in Matthew's gospel, it is particularly the poor in spirit who are highlighted. Luke doesn't highlight it that way. But here, it's the poor in spirit. And being poor in spirit is realizing that we have no hope in ourselves. No hope of blessing in what we do. Our only hope is to be found in Jesus. It's an understanding of our spiritual poverty. And in our spiritual poverty, casting ourselves upon Christ. Today, when we take communion, when we take the, the bread, when we take the, the wine in our hands, we do so with empty hands. It's very symbolic. We're saying, I have no hope, no hope, except Christ alone. He is the path to blessing. Bonhoeffer says, the kingdom dawns on them. They are heirs of the kingdom. They have their treasure in secret. They find it on the cross. There's where our treasure comes from. There's where the kingdom of heaven comes from. It's from the Jesus who's on the cross. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. With each beatitude, the gulf is widened between the disciples and the people of the world. Their call to come forth from the people around them becomes increasingly manifest. By mourning, Jesus, of course, means doing without what the world calls peace and prosperity. He means refusing to be in tune with the world or to accommodate oneself to its standards. Such men mourn for the world, for its guilt, its fate, and its fortune. And Bonhoeffer makes a very good point about how, indeed, why is it so often that the world is rejoicing while the people of God are in mourning? He says, they see that for all the, the jollity on board, the ship is beginning to sink. The world dreams of progress, of power, and of the future, but the disciples meditate on the end, the last judgment, and the coming of the kingdom. They stand as the bearers of sorrow in the fellowship of the crucified one. They stand as strangers in the world in the power of him who was such a stranger to the world that it crucified him. And so he's teaching here that fellowship with Christ means sharing in the mourning of Jesus. Think of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Weeping, longing to gather them as a mother hen would gather its chicks, but they, were, they wouldn't have it. Jesus was weeping for the lost. Or think of the healing of the man with the withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And Jesus looked at the religious leaders and no mercy, no compassion, just wanting to catch Jesus out, no concern for this man and his need. 
And Jesus is great. He's great. The promise here is for comfort for those who mourn over the world's sin, over our own sin. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's not just talking about his death on the cross. It's talking about the sadness in his heart at the sin around. But there's a promise of comfort. Those who bring their mourning to Jesus will find his comfort. Then we have blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Bonhoeffer says, when reproached, they hold their peace. When treated with violence, they endure it patiently. When men drive them from their presence, they yield their ground. I was thinking of those words, and the wee words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 came to my mind. When speaking about himself and his ministry, he says, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuge of all things. Now, if you put that wee advert on the paper, <laughs> I don't know many people would sign up that come and be the scum of the world. And yet that is what Jesus is calling us to be, to take it, to be meek and to accept it. You see a wee picture coming up of a famous scene in a film, I think it's a few dollars more. And in this film, Lee Van Cleef, who's on the left there, is a, a bounty hunter called Mortimer. He comes into the bar behind this man, played by Klaus Kinski. He's called the, the hunchback. He's a notorious gunman and bandit. And Mortimer comes in, comes behind the hunchback and lights his match on his cheek. And here's this man who's a notorious killer who's just been offended by that. And he just wants, and you can see it in his eyes, he's got very crazy eyes, he just wants to react. But he restrains himself. And he blows Mortimer's the match out from Mortimer. But what does Mortimer do? He then takes a cigar out of the hunchback's hand, a cigar which the hunchback had been smoking, and he uses it then to light his pipe. And again, you can see those eyes, those scary eyes, and he's wanting to react. But he's restrained. Why? Why is he restrained? Well, he and his friends... They're about to do a big job in robbing the bank in this town. They're on a scouting mission. They have a bigger prize, they have a bigger goal, and that is what restrains him. That is what holds him back. And you know, as Christians, there's times we, we are like that. We get cross, we get angry. There's part of us just wants to fight back, just wants to hit back. But we're restrained. What holds us back? There's a bigger prize. There's a bigger goal. It's not in robbing a bank. I hope not. It's the treasures of heaven. It's an awareness that we're part of the kingdom of God. 
we're part of something much bigger than this insult we've received. We're meek. That doesn't mean we're weak. We're meek means we restrain ourselves by God's grace. Bonhoeffer says, Jesus says, they shall inherit the earth. To these, the parlous, the disenfranchised, the very earth belongs. Those who now possess it by violence and injustice shall lose it. And those who have utterly renounced it, who were meek to the point of the cross, shall rule the new earth. What a glorious thought. The high and the mighty who scorn believers, who scorn Christianity, the high and the mighty who are ruthless and rule, they'll lose it all. And who will reign in the new heavens and the new earth? It'll be those who are meek, who are restrained by the grace of Christ. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they renounce their own righteousness. They see their own righteousness by what they do as being rags before God. And they see that their only hope of righteousness is not in themselves, but in Christ alone. And Bonhoeffer says, they cannot have righteousness except by hungering and thirsting for it. And this applies equally to their own righteousness and to the righteousness of God on earth. Always they looked forward to the future righteousness of God. They are longing for the forgiveness of all sin, for complete renewal, for the renewal too of the earth, and the full establishment of God's law. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is a desire for everything to be right. Some people are described as being OCD. Everything has to be in its right place. And there's a sense, as Christians, we should be like that. Uh, now, I shared a house with a fellow who had all his pencils nicely sharpened and in a wee row. Uh, my desk is never like that. But there should be a longing that everything in our lives should be right. A longing that things will be right, not by our standards, but by God's. That things will be right within our family. Things will be right within our church. Things will be right within our community, within our land, within our world. There's a longing that things will be right for the honor of God. There should be a thirst for that. There should be a, a passion for that. And you see the lovely promise? Those who hunger and thirst for this righteousness, they shall be filled. We strive for it. We long for it in this world. And hopefully, by God's grace, we see a growing in holiness in our own lives and a growing of His kingdom in our family, in our church, in the world around us. But ultimately, we look for that day 
when everything will be right. Everything will be put right by the power and goodness of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here again, we're called to follow Jesus. And I love that we verse in one of the Gospels where it speaks about when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them, for he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. The merciful, Bonhoeffer says, they go out and seek all who are enmeshed in the toils of sin and guilt. No distress is too great, no sin too appalling for their pity. If any man falls into disgrace, the merciful will sacrifice their own honor to shield him and take his shame upon themselves. I thought that was interesting, you know, that indeed being merciful does bear with it even a willingness to be disgraced ourselves. Being merciful is being like Jesus who was among the needy, the lowly, and the sinful. And you think of how they were constantly gossiping about Jesus, this friend of sinners. That was no compliment. But Jesus didn't care about his reputation. He was a man of mercy. He got among those who were in need to bring them hope, to bring them compassion, to bring them mercy. And speaking of the merciful, Bonhoeffer says, they are glad to incur reproach, for they know that then they are blessed. And one day God Himself will come down and take upon Himself their sin and shame. He will cover them with His own honor and remove their disgrace. You think of Jesus who was scorned and mocked and shamed by the religious leaders for showing mercy. Jesus today is glorified and honored in heaven itself. And those who are merciful, those who have experienced that mercy of Christ and are willing to share that mercy, even when people don't understand who we mix with. The day will come. The merciful will receive the honor that comes from the Lord. Then moving on, we come to blessed of the pure in heart there in verse 8, for they shall see God. Being pure is about being single-minded. It's the opposite of being double-minded. It's focused and determined in our life for Jesus. Only those who have surrendered their hearts completely to Jesus that he may reign in them alone. Only those whose hearts are undefiled by their own evil and by their own virtues too. For then their hearts are free from all defiling fantasies and are not distracted by conflicting desires and intentions. They are wholly absorbed by the contemplation of God. They shall see God whose heart has become a reflection of the image of Jesus Christ. 
I love the way his story is told. I think it's maybe Richard Wormbrandt's book, maybe, Tortured for Christ, about how the, the first Soviet cosmonauts went into space. And this arrogant science teacher says, the cosmonauts went up into space and God was not there. God does not exist. And the wee girl replied, the wee Christian girl in the class replied, but it's only the pure in heart who see God. We need to be careful if we want to know God, if we want to know God in a deeper way, if we want to see God in His glory and grace. We need to be careful we don't get distracted and diverted in our following of Jesus. Writing to the Galatians, Paul says this several times, but one occasion he puts it this way, who has bewitched you, he says them. Here were people who had responded to the gospel message, who were going on well, and then somebody cut in on them. Someone whose message was not pure. And these believers who were going on a pure path, who were single-minded in their devotion to the Lord, they have been bewitched. They had been distracted. They had been diverted. We need to be very watchful for voices that impact us, for voices which are not pure, voices from within ourselves, and voices from outside. Three wee things about how we may recognize an impure voice. It's not, first of all, focused on the glory of God. Secondly, it is not biblical. It's not following biblical truth. And thirdly, it's not consistent. You see, purity is about being single-minded. Impurity is being double-minded, which means there'll be inconsistency. And often the impure voice is an inconsistent one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Surely that's our goal. We should seek that purity in our lives through Christ. Two more. We're getting there. Two more quickly. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We hear a lot about peace in this world, a lot about peace in the province, but the peace spoken about here is different. Bonhoeffer says the followers of Jesus have been called to peace. When he called them, they found their peace, for he is their peace. But now they are told that they must not only have peace, but make it. And to that end, they renounce all violence and tumult. His disciples keep the peace by choosing to endure suffering themselves rather than inflict it on others. There's a wee verse in Colossians, which is one of the most misused verses in the Bible when it comes to guidance, and it talks about, may the peace of God guard your heart. And the idea is, if you have a sense of peace about something, then indeed, that's the right thing to do. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. It's okay if it's peace that's focused on truth. But what that wee verse is actually talking about, 
Let the peace of God guide your heart or guard your heart. It's being at peace with other people. Seeking to behave in a manner that promotes peace. And it's even willing to be wronged and it goes back to the meekness, not fighting back. So that indeed, conflict is avoided. Now this peacemaking is not natural to us. We naturally want to defend our rights. We naturally want to be like Klaus Kinski in that film, that when someone insults us, we want to strike back. But it's only by the crucified Christ and the crucified Christ living in us and coming to know His power more and more day by day that we can be this people of peace. Bonhoeffer says that peacemakers will carry the cross with their Lord, for it's on the cross that peace was made. This peace comes as we die to sin and die to self. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Bonhoeffer says, the world will be offended at them, and so disciples will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not recognition, but rejection is the reward they get from the world for their message and works. You think of the story of Paul and Silas. We were thinking about two weeks ago. And they're in Philippi, preaching the gospel, filled with love and kindness, delivering a slave girl from an evil spirit. They end up being dragged to the magistrate, a, a mock trial, if it even was a trial. They're beaten, they're thrown in, thrown in prison. That's the consequence of being faithful to the Lord. We were thinking at the pre-communion of how the cross included both suffering and rejection. Jesus was the rejected Messiah. And taking up the cross and following Him means being willing to be rejected by people around us. Now, we don't like that. We don't like being rejected. We don't like it when people shun us, when people turn away from us, when people are rude to us. We don't like it when people don't like us. But this rejection by the world is one of the signs that we belong to the kingdom of heaven. Now, we don't be persecuted for being awkward. We don't be persecuted for being stubborn. We be persecuted for righteousness' sake. But Jesus says, great is your reward. Rejoice. Bonhoeffer says, the fellowship of the Beatitudes is the fellowship of the crucified. With him, it has lost all. The fellowship has lost all. And with him, it has found all. From their cross, there comes this call. Blessed. Blessed. It's not easy being a Christian. It's not easy being a disciple of Christ. It's tough. It's hard. It's going against the world. It's 
talk about the broad and the narrow road. And in many ways, the narrow road that leads to eternal life is a narrow road that goes up the middle of that broad road, but in the opposite direction. That's what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus. It's tough. It's hard. But the message from the cross is you're blessed. You're blessed. One final quote from Bonhoeffer will be on the screen. With his own hand, God wipes away the tears from the eyes of those who had mourned upon the earth. He feeds the hungry at his banquet. There stand the scarred bodies of the martyrs, now glorified and clothed in the white robes of eternal righteousness instead of the rags of sin and repentance. The echoes of this joy reach the little flock below as it stands beneath the cross, and they hear Jesus saying, Blessed are ye, O following Jesus dying to sin, dying to self, taking up the cross. It's hard. It's tough. But it's a path we walk with Jesus. And it's the only path to real blessedness. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful Beatitudes. We thank you, Father, as we just read them and think about them. So much just speaks of Jesus. We think of His mourning for the world, His meekness, His hungering and thirsting for righteousness to be done, His mercy, His purity, His peace-giving. And, Father, we just pray that the old man, the old woman that still lurks within us would be put to death more and more. And Father, like Paul, we'll be able to say, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Oh, Father, may we hear that call of discipleship. May we count the cost. May we take up the cross and follow Jesus, knowing that while the road will be rough, Jesus walks with us and is the way of true blessedness. Father, for any who are struggling on the road, just give them the grace, the encouragement they need. And for any, any who haven't started on the road, who haven't started to follow Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord. Grant that today you would give that grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.